What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Screenspeak, the podcast that's all about movies, life, and so much more. I'm Jordan Anderson, this is my podcast, and as per usual, I thank each of you for taking the time to come by and give this a listen. I really think you're going to like what I have in store for you all today and the days to follow because it's something different, something new, something that I've been actually cooking up for some time, just getting my head wrapped around it and prepared to release to you all. In short, this episode is introducing a new segment to you all for the podcast that I've dubbed Screen Think. Might not seem like a big reach name-wise, right? Screen speak, screen think. Whoa, you replaced a whole word with another word. That's so original and different. But here's the thing with this. As I came up with this idea, took the time to flesh it out, and created the pilot for it, which is what you're about to listen to, I then came to the naming of this actual segment. And in thinking about the name, I had to really think and decide what this segment's goal and what it should be all about. So I want to explain how I got to this point first before we dive into this, because I think by doing so, it's going to explain how I landed on this name, and the real important question to answer is, why I'm bothering on making a new segment for the podcast at all. I started ScreenSpeak on August 13th, 2021, with a very simple idea and format in mind. Take an individual movie, pick apart its themes, messages, ideas, and real-world implications all through my own honest perspective and lens, and see if it sticks. That simple. I started doing it solo, and eventually tried my hand at interviewing, quote-unquote, friends and family, which I actually prefer saying conversation, having conversations with them, rather than just straight-up interviewing, because you're having a dialogue over a solitary back and forth, which is honestly what attracted me to the medium of podcasting in the first place. But I digress. Here and there, I would occasionally play around with something off-format or original, Uh, Such examples would include my movie collection, parts one through five. I did a tribute to Ray Liotta when he passed away, and and that was all well and good, but I was still mostly sticking with my originally set format while getting a more steady stream of guests to pop in there for it. It was around the one-year mark that I began making new strides in the broadening the guests that I had on the podcast beyond people that I just knew personally. This began by approaching a local Cedar Rapids, Iowa street character known to the locals here as Hockey Man. Now, I'll be honest, everybody. I didn't think that that guy was going to be a wealth of movie knowledge or insight, and I think if you listened to the episode, you would probably say the same on it, right? But I did know by taking a chance and doing something quite literally outside of the box, it would help get some local eyes and ears on what I was doing. I was definitely taking a chance on that one, but getting through that, getting through it and surviving it... Uh, it, it taught me a valuable lesson. It taught me that I do have skills at this beyond just talking with family and friends. It wasn't long after that I had my first local business sponsorship and guest on the podcast being my own barber, Mr. Isaac McGee. And a quick shout out to Isaac and the folks over at Barber's Edge and Hair Salon in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. If you're looking for a haircut, you're looking for beard work, they do great work and can handle both of those. Don't have a beard? It doesn't matter. Get your hair cut. They do an awesome job. They're local and they will treat you... Well, they treat you like family, basically. Like they're they're just great people over there. So shout out to them. They didn't they didn't pay for that. They didn't pay for that segment at all. I just I, I really like what they're doing, and I just uh, just felt the need to shout them out. So that's what I'm doing. But let me keep going here. By this point, I began taking more time to research and prep episodes, and in particular, I think that actually starts to show when you listen to episode 58 of the podcast, being the special I did on Heat One and the book Heat Two. This would translate as well into more quote-unquote think-piece-style episodes like episode 62, Controversial Movie Opinions, and episode 66, 
streaming, latest watched, enjoyed, forgotten about, and anticipated. By the time year three rolled around, which is where we're at right now, I began having really strong feelings within myself that told me I was still thinking small with this thing. Still treating this podcast as more of a hobby and not quite as a passion or something to build on, nurture, and grow. I really found that 2023 has become the year that I took an aggressive, forward-thinking stand on my podcast and essentially decided with it, it's time to shit or get off the pot. Uh, There's probably better analogies I could come up with that, but that really is the first thing that came to mind, and I'm not even sure if that applies with what I'm trying to say here, but hopefully if you've been listening this long, you, you get what I'm trying to say. I gradually began having ScreenSpeak get tapped into the local film community here within the state of Iowa, starting with Collins Road Theater's owner and operator Bruce Taylor. Getting the chance to interview him felt like the most professional thing that I had done at the time, and it really did give me the needed confidence in order to continue to push myself and this podcast on the greater heights. From that moment on, it has thus far turned ScreenSpeak into having its most successful year to date. Since deciding to explore my state's own film community deeper, I've discovered much talent and creativity happening right around me that I was completely oblivious to before. It introduced me to the Cedar Rapids Independent Film Festival, Iowa Independent Film Festival, Refocus Film Festival, and countless others that I'm looking forward to bringing the podcast to in 2024 and beyond. Along with that has also come great new relationships that have formed, namely with the folks over at Mediaverse Studios in Marengo, Iowa. Shout out Mediaverse. And, of course, the now dozens of guests that I've had the pleasure of having thoughtful conversations with, what they're working on, further promoting their art and craft to the world around them at large. It's a year that I'm forever grateful to have had, but I still feel there is so much left to go. Which leads us to today. Where do I take ScreenSpeak from here? Do I continue to evolve and grow the show's presence in the state of Iowa and beyond by visiting film festivals? putting a spotlight on up-and-coming filmmakers from all walks of life, while still maintaining the essence of what my show started as, which is me letting my personality and commentary fly while I tell you all what movies mean and how they speak so loudly to me? Is that what I do? You bet. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm going to do and continue to do. But at the same time, I want to ensure that I'm growing, challenging myself doing what I can to reach that all-too-sought-after state of contentment known as fulfillment, or in my case, creative fulfillment. So all that said, I decided to really take some time to explore some ideas that I had kicking around upstairs and turn at least one of them for the time being into reality. And with that, I can introduce you all to ScreenThink. ScreenThink is a segment of ScreenSpeak, and it's designed to deliver you essay-style, thought-provoking content on complex subjects within the vast world of movies, art, and entertainment that seem to lack clear-cut answers. Each episode is broken out into chapters, blending the style of podcasts, audiobooks, and TED Talks all into one. My goal each time that I release a new screen think to you all is to get you thinking, get you reflecting, and challenging your understanding of aspects of the world of movies that you may very well have never had the time to think about before or at least never had the time to think about it in depth before. In this first of the segment, I talk about a subject that is near and dear to my heart, physical media. The title of this segment I've called Preserving Permanence. It consists of nine chapters that will be released over the course of the coming five days, chapter one being today. I get into the history of physical media, its importance to the film industry, and where I think the format should and can go from here. I sincerely hope that you all like this new direction on the podcast, but to be clear, 
all content going forward is not going to be strictly screen things. As I found with this one, it takes a lot more time to put something like this together than a typical episode does for me. Meaning, if I release one of these, it's really important to me and it means that I have something I feel compelled to say that I want to have some weight on. While you wait for more content, enjoy these upcoming chapters of my new segment, Screen Think. And let me know what you think about it, and of course, hit the follow button or rate the show so that you don't miss out while simultaneously showing your support for this show. I really love each of you out there, love all my listeners, and I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. To be clear, I do think I'm going to have some content up possibly before Christmas, but at this point, I really can't make any promises on that because it's just a crazy time of year. Anyways, enjoy the coming chapters, and thank you again so much for listening. Chapter 1. Physical Media Throughout Time You can't get into depth talking about physical media without going back to where it all started, back at the beginning. This chapter is going to serve as a bit of a history lesson, if you will, on physical media itself. Because by understanding its history, you can better understand how we got to where we're at right now, and more importantly, where the format can and should go from here. So physical media has taken a lot of shapes and forms over the years. It's come in the form of actual film being your 16mm, 8mm, and 35mm film, laser discs, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K Ultra HD discs. Now for decades, filmmakers have relied upon and used these forms of physical media as a primary means of distributing their films to an even larger audience than what was originally allowed for through their film's original theatrical distribution run. These formats also serve as another means for the filmmakers and their teams to be able to earn profit from the hard work that they all put into the films. Some films through physical media have even gained what you would call a second life, or performed even better once they're made available physically rather than theatrically. Blade Runner, Boondock Saints, and several other movies I can name off the top are things that come to mind when I think about this. Because of its tangible form, some filmmakers' work has been able to spread far and wide and been found by people when it's really least expected. Maybe it's when you're walking up and down the aisle of your favorite used bookstore, while you're browsing inside of a pawn shop, or maybe it's while you're searching for a video game or something else entirely, nothing to do with movies and you find it completely by mistake. Or maybe it's simply when you're viewing the back and front of a film's physical format while you're wandering the aisles of a video rental store in search of something new and different to watch that night. It's also been used as a way to archive and preserve filmmakers' cast and crew's hard work and efforts, allowing their projects to be appreciated in tangible form in the present and long in the future generations. Now let's go back to the true beginning of all this and talk about 16mm film. So your 16mm film originally got introduced by the Eastman Kodak Company, or Kodak for short, all the way back in 1923. Its original purpose was to be used by amateur filmmakers, or people that wanted to record and preserve their friends and family on somewhat of a viewable archive from within their own home. Eventually over time, 16mm film would find its way into commercial application, including educational films for schools, newsreels, and even some theatrical releases that were out there. 16mm film consists of a strip of film that's 16mm wide, with perforations on one side for sprocket engagement. The film itself would be able to be loaded onto reels and played using 16mm projectors, and this would allow the average person a more compact and more affordable alternative to the larger film formats of the time, which in turn made its accessibility reach a broad range of applications across our society. 
Now, in these early days of physical media, it really did play a vital role for home entertainment and distribution for films outside of the theater. I can't really stress that part enough. Over time, film technology would continue to advance, introducing other formats of film like 8mm and 35mm film, which would only really help further enhance and improve the longevity of films that were released over the coming years. Now we fast forward to 1978, we do get introduced briefly to Laserdiscs. You might remember this format, Laserdiscs, or LDs for short, as a significant advancement in the world of film and home entertainment, at least back in the late 1970s. So these were the first type of optical disc technology that were used to house films in a more secure and stable way than what your traditional 16mm film or other home film formats that preceded it were able to support. They were 12 inches or 30 centimeters long in diameter and resembled essentially a giant, big-looking CD. Looked more like a vinyl disc than something that you'd actually be able to watch a movie off of. They were capable of holding footage on both sides of the disc, and depending on the length of the movie, it really wouldn't be considered uncommon to have to flip one over in the middle of the film because one side was not capable of holding the entire picture. Eventually, VHS would run into this problem too, along with a handful of DVDs and Blu-rays that would come down the line later. Laserdiscs, though, for a time were really great to have, but as home entertainment technology continued its advancements, they eventually became too costly to produce, and in certain cases, just plain too big. They're too large to store in mass quantities for the average collector. A few years prior, 1976 to be exact, there was another physical media format that was introduced. One that for many years continued to be used and far outlived Laserdisc, introduced just two short years ahead of it. This format was Video Home System, commonly known by the masses as VHS or VHS tapes. So this format used half-inch magnetic tape that was housed within a large cassette. It would allow for longer recording times, outpacing and eventually beating its main competitor at the time that was trying to do a similar thing, known as Betamax. So your typical VHS tape could hold up to two hours of a movie. And eventually, blank VHS tapes were also produced, which would allow people to record entire movies that were broadcasted by television, or possibly even record some of their favorite TV shows that were playing. So by the 1980s, VHS began picking up real steam and became the dominant format for home video consumption by the mass of the entertainment marketplace. Because of this format staying power of the time, it allowed for the first time libraries of content to be available, thus creating the beginning of the home video boom over the years, or film collecting as a hobby and a passion. VHS's dominance of the physical media market would last throughout the 80s and even into most of the 90s as well. It was only around the year 2000 that the format's decline started to become apparent because of the next level of physical media technology that was on the way, DVD. So DVD stands for Digital Versatile Discs. They originally got introduced to the world sometime in the mid-1990s, all the way over in Japan, eventually making their way across the world and becoming the dominant physical media format of the time. They utilized a 120mm or 4.7 inches optical disc and would use MPEG-2 compression for its video, providing a major improvement of video and audio quality compared to its predecessors. They also introduced us to all the interactive features on a disc that we probably now consider to be common, such as your menus, scene selections, and a major important piece when it comes to talking about physical media, bonus content, sometimes known as bonus features. 
DVDs were a lot more durable than VHS tapes, which over time and with repeated use could get worn down and in some cases be made unplayable, which just sucked. By the early 2000s, DVD was the dominant format for home video consumption of film and entertainment. DVDs, just like VHS before it, remained a stable and reliable format for film lovers and collectors alike, adding the people's home archives of films and allowing films to last even longer than before and reach even more people than ever thought possible before. And for the decades to come, the optical disc, as far as the format goes, would remain dominant and advancing with technological improvements as time continued on. Eventually, we arrive in 2006, which most of us in the film community will know as being the birth of Blu-ray. Blu-ray was the next logical step in evolution for the optical disc as a format. It had higher storage capacity than DVD and provided improved video and audio over DVD. Now, like DVD, Blu-ray would also utilize a 120mm optical disc. On this disc, though, there was significantly more storage space, which allowed arguably the most important upgrade of all, high-definition video or 1080p quality, along with enhanced, advanced audio quality. Around this time, there was a very brief stint of a competing format known as HD-DVD. You may remember seeing their dark red cases around, looking awfully similar in feel to that of Blu-ray discs. Their similarity and availability at the same time of Blu-ray caused a lot of consumers to be confused and unsure of which format was superior and worth owning. Some studios were for the format, but most over time chose to stick and opt with Blu-ray instead. Most known explanations for the failing of HD DVD had to do with licensing issues, royalties, content availability, and overall retail support for it. So because of all that, the marketplace spoke and made HD DVD fade into the sunset, while Blu-ray continued to expand its reach across the world. Now while all this was going on, television technology continued improvements as well. Around this time came the induction of the HD TV, which provided a huge surge and boost in sales for the format for years and years to come. In subsequent years, Blu-ray continued its evolution and eventually by 2016, would provide us with its next step in physical media, 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray. 4K refers to the resolution of the content itself, which is approximately 4,000 pixels wide, meaning its resolution is far higher than standard high definition of 1080p. It offered more detail, sharper images, and superior sound quality. Similar to Blu-ray as a format taking off with the induction of HD TVs, so too the same thing happened for 4K when 4K Ultra HD televisions came onto the market, supporting and complementing the 4K format ever since. In short, 4K discs with their compatible televisions offer four times the number of pixels than traditional 1080p HD picture and sound. Colors in film and television underwent significant enhancement and improvements, causing a striking and mesmerizing experience for the viewer at home. Gaming consoles got on board with it as well, and would go on to adopt 4K technology, which only continued to further the adoption and popularity of the format. Then, as we all know, streaming began its digital age and eventually started its own support of 4K content to be streamed to its viewers. Now, arguably to this day, 4K has become the bar for high-quality home entertainment. There are now certain manufacturers that are producing 8K televisions, but that has of yet to take any sort of significant hold with the mass marketplace and get 4K to get pushed away completely. But let me jump back to streaming for a moment. 
Streaming technically started and continued its growth as early as the mid-2000s, going back to the inception and growth of the internet itself. The internet's adoptance and acceptance in society as a whole was essential for streaming to be where it has arrived at today. Within the mid-2000s came an absolute milestone for streaming, YouTube. By 2007, Netflix started as a DVD rental by mail service, but eventually fully adopted and owned streaming due to the internet's improvements that were predominantly brought on by high speed and better technology that supported it. By the 2010s, new streaming services would be born, inundating the market with even more to choose from with services like Amazon, Hulu, Paramount+, Peacock, Crackle, HBO Max, Disney+, and more all of which would offer diverse and original content, which in turn helped to open the door for more projects and films to be made and released that beforehand may never have even seen the light of day. Eventually, live streaming further enhanced and popularized the format even further, so much so that streaming officially had global reach and dominance of people in more ways than one. Streaming up to today has completely changed the way that we access and consume film and entertainment. The impact of it all has been profound on the industry, leading studios to completely reimagine and view their distribution model and methods. It's also had quite a large effect on people's viewing habits at home, causing a lot of us right now to be on a somewhat two-sided view of the best or better way to view entertainment, streaming or physical media, or as some would say, streaming versus physical media, or as even some others would say, streaming over physical media, or possibly the other way around. And with all that, it brings us right up to our current time and place, a time where both the physical media format and streaming do coexist. Many are skeptical of that coexistence and seem to believe that one will eventually overtake and eliminate the other. As technology continues its evolution, it's important to be mindful that so too do we as a society and people that support the arts and entertainment and how we choose to show that support. We seem to get a sense in the air that both can't coexist, or even maybe should. That notion right there, honestly, is something that frightens me, and it's for a lot of reasons. It's not because I'm afraid of change and inferior technology and or methods getting faded into history, but it's because of what I see it doing to the big picture of the film industry, and the care and respect in which we view movies and derive meaning from them. Over this exercise and this episode, I know I'm certain to come off on being on the side of physical media. In fact, I'll just say it. I am with and stand for physical media over streaming. That's only if you're making me pick between the two. I do have my reasons for that, reasons that I will explain and explore in the coming chapters. But before I do all that, I do want to say that though I stand for physical media and always will, I'm not anti-streaming. I don't want it to go away, nor do I think that it should. It has its place and is of tremendous use for a variety of reasons that I will also do my best to explain in this episode and its coming chapters. What I ultimately want out of this whole episode is this. I want everyone to understand that physical medias for movies and shows should not just be considered just another in a long line of outdated formats in the natural cycle of technological innovation in home entertainment. If physical media were to truly disappear, I firmly believe that it would cause negative and wide-reaching impacts and effects to not just audiences, but also to the filmmakers and their teams that have poured their hearts and souls and time into sharing and preserving their stories with us all.